Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, technical editor here at Bike Radar. Uh, and joining me today for today's tech Q&A podcast uh, are two of our head testers at Bike Radar, MBUK and Cycling Plus. So uh, first off, we've got Robin Weaver. He's our senior, he's our technical editor in chief. How's it going, Rob? All good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Rob. Yeah. Uh, and as well, we have Warren Roster. He's our senior road technical editor. How's it going, Was? Very good, mate. Slightly out of breath, but yeah. Good, good stuff. I hear you've, you've been out on the bike this morning, is that right? I, I, I've literally just jumped off it and um, I'm here now. So um, it's good we're doing this remotely because you would not want to be sitting <laughs> in with me right now. I, I think I can see a Castelli uh, gilet on you. So yeah, you're definitely still in cycling kit. Yeah. Excellent. Rob, how are you getting on? What are you up to? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I had a, a big day on the bike yesterday, or bikes yesterday, doing some back-to-back stuff for our big bike of the year test. Excellent. Um, it was dry. Wow. I know. After after the rain and the snow that you and I have obviously had mm. the last few weeks, it was um, oh the relief, not having to clean everything, hose it all down was just insane. I am completely down with that. I've literally just got the bike and um, you, you obviously can't see it because you can only see me from the, the pecs up, but I'm wearing shorts oh, yeah. for the first time this year and it was fabulous. Whoa. Over 50 miles of gravel, and I didn't feel cold. Blimey, was I'm I'm impressed. I had um, <laughs> I had my shins out on a gravel ride at the weekend, and I got very cold shins. So I've, I've put away the anything other than tights and trousers for at least a month now. I reckon still. Yeah, easily a month. 
we've just um, completed our order. We're getting clothing from Madison and Perlizumi for our bike of the issue. Uh, and I've just done my spreadsheet with requests. And I've requested a thermal jersey um, and some rather warm soft shell pants. <laughs> Last year's uh, bike of the year shoot at Bike Park Wales did include significant amounts of snow. So I'm I'm coming prepared this year. Oh, it was freezing, wasn't it? It was absolutely freezing in April. Yeah, yes. it was grim. <laughs> right, we'll um, we'll we'll crack on. So this is one of our tech Q and A uh, podcasts uh, where you, the listener, via the medium of social media, has sent in all of your tech, bike, maintenance, mechanicing questions, uh, and we've collated them. Uh, and Rob and Warren are going to use their collective wisdom to hopefully try and answer your queries. And I will chip in if I have anything relevant to say, which is not always very often. Um, but we'll crack on with question number one. So uh, what is the point in a cassette plier? Um, someone's clearly seen a picture on our Instagram of uh, our workshop manager using some cassette pliers instead of uh, a cassette tool and a spanner to remove a cassette and a, and a, and a chain whip, I guess. Um, what's the point? They're quite big fancy things. Rob? Yeah, they're not cheap. They're no. certainly not cheap. Um, but from my experience, I think chain whips are good, but there's definitely times when they can be a little bit inconsistent, especially if you're using older ones or, I don't know, you're trying to rush, get a job done quick, and sometimes you can end up properly skinning your knuckles. Because mm. um, they Just what I was about to say. They yeah. do slip from time to time. And now I'm not saying that cassette pliers won't ever slip, but just the way in which they work with uh, normally two bits of chain lower down on a what looks like a giant set of pliers, basically, hence the name, uh, helps to keep your hands nice and far away. And you're not trying to, I guess, rely on a loose bit of chain just sort of mm. flopped over the teeth of the cassette in order to grip it. Um, so I personally feel that um, for what you've got on offer, you can you can the purchase the the grip on the cassette is more consistent and better. So when it comes to taking it off, doing a job where um, some of the time, especially if you're less uh, well versed with a chain whip, you can lose good chunks of skin and yeah. maybe more when <laughs> when doing it. The so I'm is, a big fan. I'd certainly say yeah. Yeah, I'd certainly say if you're ever using a chain whip, just wear gloves. I've got too many scars across across knuckles where they've where they've slipped. Or you have those like you know like brain freeze moments where you're going. So which way on should this be going? <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Well, hang on. What cog? Well, what I, what I swear. Every, yeah, we, hey. every time I use a chain whip, which is <laughs> when I was doing a wheels test, which was way too frequently, uh, I can never remember which way to put it on because it's sort of it's almost like uh, the opposite way to maybe you think it is. And then the other thing I find because because chain whips are built to be universal, they never fit like a 12-speed cassette very well. They're blooming nightmare. So I, I think I'm uh, I'm on the... the well, that's, good. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, because, you know, it, I mean, I don't know how old the chain whip I've got is, um, but because I have such a stupid amount of bikes because I'm an idiot and never sell any, I've got 10, 11, 12, even 13-speed like cassettes on bikes. And... It's not very compatible, mm. and I think it's the same with like chain pliers. The, only, the one I'm actually because when I saw this question, I started sort of having a look around, 
And the one that I'm sort of really kind of interested in is the um, Pedro's do one called the Vice, the Vice Whip 2, uh-huh. which they reckon is completely compatible no matter what speed it is. Um, and that has a kind of like a locking jaw and they work a bit like mole grips, so you kind of tension it up. Okay. And they look pretty special. It looks like it might make it slower, but it looks like it might make it really slow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit tall nerdy about that, <laughs> I, re- I reckon. So. Well, I think the general consensus is they are better than a chain whip. Um, we'll we'll oh, stay oh, with... Sorry, can I just get chime one in? Oh, if, please, Rob. If my old next-door neighbour, Nick, is listening, if he could return it... <laughs> I had a set. Of, I had a wicked set of those Pedro ones, which he borrowed uh, five years ago. Oh, we were literally just talking about and those I'm ones. Yet, I, I think they look kind of. I'm cool. yet to have them back. Well, hopefully he is listening, and hopefully he'll he'll pop round. I heard. I heard that he might have sold everything and gone to CrossFit. So I'm a bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll stay with uh, we'll stay with drive trains um, and chains slipping uh, because Barry wants to know. Uh, he says my chain keeps slipping after I fitted a new cassette and chainring. It's not an old chain either. So um, what's going on for Barry? Do you think? I think it's is it is it well is it because the chain's old and everything else is new? I don't know. I mean, the, the most obvious thing. I'd say is that it, the, the chains that fault, you know, providing the chain ring and cassette fitted are, are compatible with the chain, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, um, but, you know, sometimes even a relatively fresh chain can have a little bit of stretch in it, you know, just depending on, you know, what, how it's been used. And I just think the easiest, the easiest thing is just get a chain checker. They're really relatively inexpensive. You know, KMC do an easy checker, which costs around a tenner. I think it's like, you know, I think like $12, 10 quid. Um, you just hook one end into into a link, hook it around, and then just drop the other end like a little bit of a ruler. And then it, a gauge just shows you, you know, how close you are within tolerance, mm-hmm. you know. SRAM do one specifically for their 12-speed axis chains. And Park also do um, a really good um, like chain-checking ruler as well. I think it's called the, the CC32, I think it is. Again, 10 quid, $12. And it, it that works across 11 and 12-speed. So... I think first thing is just check your, you know, check your chain. And from bitter experience, if you don't check your chain, you will come adrift, as I found out recently. Uh, yeah. Snapping it, snap, snapping the chain, and having a ten-mile walk home in road shoes. I guess that's um, one of the good things about chains <laughs> is that while we've got narrower and more speeds and all that sort of thing, the actual length of a pin, uh, length, length of a link hasn't changed. So you couldn't go properly old school uh, and get your ruler out and measure um you'd have to google how many inches it is per link or or whatever it is but um i think it's i think if you go by 12 inches it should be pin to pin from across 12 inches uh, okay right yeah and so then, if it isn't so quite it, 12 inches if it's more than 12 inches you've got a bit of stretch well basically if it deviate i think you're looking for a one percent increase mm-hmm. um so uh what, hold on what's that in millimeters so 12 inches uh 305 mil that sound about right tom you're a mm-hmm. mental math champ yeah it's about the length of a ruler 30 centimeters so, 12 inch so if that increases by three mil is that right is that one yep. percent yep so there you go if you can do your measures you can this actually ties um nicely into roger's question uh which is what's the best way to check if a chain and cassette is worn well for a chain it's a measurement you know of its length whether you're doing it with a roller uh, with a ruler sorry or with um, one of the dedicated chain checking checking tools of which as was as pointed out there are many but um a bit more difficult maybe to sort of 
check if a cassette is worn. It's more of a visual check and maybe a, a feel, you know, under power or shifting, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I say. I mean, you, you know, there are, you'll, you'll see plenty of kind of visual clues. Um, you know, if you look at like the, the biggest sprockets on a bike, the, you know, the worst worn teeth, they can look more like a wave than, you know, the flat top pyramid shape they should look like if, you know, that, at the very extreme. Um, and on smaller cogs, um, I'd say the telltale sign is that, that the teeth can look like almost like they've splayed. Okay. So that it doesn't look like a uniform sort of arc, you know, almost as if they've been stretched out because they're under so much more pressure. Mm-hmm. Other thing I'd say is like you can see the breakdown of the surface on a cassette if there's like you know if if it seems to build up corrosion really quickly, even if it's clean. Um, and then finally, yeah, it's something you can feel. If there's a hesitancy in, in the way that your bike picks up when you get to that sort of, you know, when you get over the top of the crank and you're putting the power down, if it almost feels like it kind of, it it, it sort of waits and then it begs forward, mm-hmm. then then I think um, that's the thing. And, and, you know, you can normally tell if, if you've got a hugely worn cassette, then your gear shifts will be crap. They'll have trouble settling into a gear. Um, after changing, and at, at worst, it, the chain will skip, yeah. and it will, you know, and it will slip. So, and even just how the um, chain sits on the teeth, yeah, you know, you, yeah, you'll again, notice yeah, a lot like, of visually, that. you'll see yeah. it, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, in the small teeth, when it's if it's splayed, you'll see the chain sitting, and you'll you'll see daylight where it should be, you know, sitting flat. Mm-hmm. I guess. So, uh, Anecdotally, at least, if you if you keep on top of your chains, so obviously chains are a little bit cheaper than a cassette to replace, and if you keep it on top of them, so I think it says when it gets to like, uh, you get to a certain wear mark, these chain checkers have like two positions. They have like a, a replace now-ish sort of position and a it's totally knackered position. And if you're replacing it regularly when it gets to sort of just about being like, oh, you should probably change it, you should get two or three chains out of a cassette, generally speaking. At least that's what sort of the rule of thumb seems to be. Well, and if you go vice versa, if you if you leave your old chain on new cassettes and chain rings, that's when you're going to start wearing those prematurely. Yeah. So when it comes to you know the cost benefit at the end of it, it's cheaper to do your chains more regularly than it yeah. is cassette and chain rings. Yeah. So it's definitely worth staying yeah, on top of. Yeah, it's worth bearing in mind. You know, most most brands they and I've looked into this recently because I was right about it. Um, most chains have a claim life of you know between like fifteen hundred and three thousand miles, so two and a half thousand k to five thousand k, depending on 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 type and, and how you're using it. Um, so simply, it's quite worth keeping tracking mileages. You know, if you're if you're using Strava, if you've got your you know your Garmin or your or your Wahoo there, you just just literally you know keep a mental note of how many miles you've you've put into it, just as you would you know when your car knocks down, it says oh service me now, mm-hmm. you know. Don't you just ignore so it? Isn't that what happens? Yeah, until that light, until that big red light comes on, until yeah, all the lights start flashing, <laughs> then you just pull over in a lay-by and run. Call the AA. <laughs> Help. Um, we'll we'll keep on um, a, a sort of a, a wear related question. Uh, a guy called Rob. Uh, I've I've condensed his question or his point a little bit for for clarity. Um, but he says, some people say never to get soap and cleaning products on your brakes, pads, and rotors. But at the same time, there are loads of cleaning products out there. Pro mechanics can't be replacing their pads every day when they're washing the bikes. So are the cleaning products for bikes legit, or should we use these covers to protect them when cleaning our bikes and try and keep everything off our brakes at all costs? <sighs> 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anytime fitness is for real people with real fitness goals. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us aren't training for marathons or half marathons or even half half marathons. Only time most of us are running at all is if we're trying to make a connecting flight. Wouldn't have been late if we didn't stop to buy a headphone dongle. Point is, you got to be ready. You do not want to deal with rebooking. Anytime fitness, where real people help you make real progress. Join today and get a plan for training, nutrition, and recovery. So I would say, um, personally, I'm not too precious when it comes to spraying bike cleaner um, across all surfaces, including um, calipers and rotors. But, I mean, if you're looking sort of pure performance, you want to keep them as, uh, well, without any kind of contamination at all. So basically, you don't want to leave any sort of residue on there that can potentially um, degrade the performance. So yeah, you could argue that you, you could keep them completely clean, or you could just be a bit more mindful of where you're spraying the brake cleaner. Um, I think some brands will suggest to use, you know, like a mild soap and water just to keep them clean, nothing more than that. And it will wash off when you clean it down. Mm -hmm. Um, others will say, you know, potentially some kind of isopropyl alcohol, so essentially something that's going to uh, evaporate, not, you know, it doesn't leave any kind of contamination behind is that's the idea. Right. Yeah. Um, so avoid things like, I mean, if you're going to, if you're partway through cleaning your bike and you want to spray one of those silicon based sprays on, that's going to make your frame look nice and shiny, for example, absolutely cover your, um, your rotors and your calipers up because that stuff will, um, contaminate them it will uh, affect the performance under braking um, but obviously there are um, brake cleaners out there so if you're going the whole hog and you want to do a really good job on your bike I would say the last thing you should do within that cleaning process is probably give them a coating of um, proper dedicated brake cleaner not as in like the last thing you should ever do or don't do that, but the final no, no, no. thing in the, in the process, process. The like, last in thing the you should do is clean them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last thing you should do is clean your bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're going to get sued, aren't we? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. When you're cleaning your bike within that process, I would say, yeah, once you've got it spick and span, you've shined it up, you've taken your disc brake covers off if you put them on there, you can always use a bit of disc brake cleaner just to yeah. make sure that everything's um, a-okay. Wicked. 
was. Have you got any um, sort of tips and tricks for maybe reviving a slightly contaminated brake pad? Obviously, when they're gone, they're kind of gone, but sometimes you can pull it back from the brink. I mean, I, 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 I've basically just found that... Um, I, I mean, when I'm tending to clean like my road bikes, the, my the sort of gravel type bikes and stuff, where you're mainly just dealing with with mud uh, and that, that sort of sandy grime, mm. um, I just find you know fairly detergent-free, wash down, you know, um, with you know either a jet washer or or like a an air cleaner like I've got. But um, uh, on my road bikes, where you're getting picking up far more contaminants, especially from wet roads this time of year, where there's loads of diesel and you know. Um, just residue on the on the road surface. Um, I actually just I I haven't found that I've got anything like any you know brilliant thing from from specific brake cleaners. I just tend to take the pads out and just use a little bit of elbow grease. So I, like look at them and go if they if they look a little bit shiny if they look a bit a little bit discoloured, just just um, basically really hot water mm-hmm. and and like a, a a lint three free cloth you know almost like a almost like a um, uh, uh, like a like a chamois type yeah. cleaner, yeah. and I just literally just like you know get between my thumb and forefinger and give them a really good, and just try and eke out whatever if there's any contaminant in that you know in the in the brake pad material. Um, they can rough them up with a bit of sandpaper, right? A little bit of yeah, fine yeah, sandpaper. yeah, yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Okay. But I just find that if you you know when you introduce like like kind of hot 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 water, um, it, it brings all that kind of filth to the surface a little bit more, and then you can just you know clear it away mm-hmm. okay back back to the point on changing rotors and pads though um it is i i can't speak for what happens on you know like in the pro tour and stuff like that but from a mountain bike point of view i know the you know the the top guys in downhill and probably enduro too um basically those guys are braking so hard so sharp that after a full day of practice the chances are their rotors are starting to warp. So um, they'll normally, what they would normally do, it won't necessarily be every single day, but what they will normally do is the mechanics will, um, they will replace the rotors and the pads together. So almost harken back to the previous question, you know, changing cassettes, they would kind of do them simultaneously, Mm. maybe a set of pads per rotor and switch it out like that. So I'm not sure whether that's, you know, there's an absolute science to it, but I know some mechanics will do it just like that because they think yeah. it's a more consistent way to to do it. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. if you've got if everything is on the line and you're talking about tenths of seconds, the last thing you want is to be you know losing speed because of a mechanical disadvantage. So if your rotor's rubbing because it's slightly warped or whatever it might be, or you can't slow down as efficiently as you should be able to, yeah. you know why wouldn't you do it? It might be different this year because obviously no one can get anything. <laughs> so <laughs> jamming a foot on the back tire. Yeah, yeah, foot style. jamming. Yeah, yeah. yeah, dropping the anchor. Down lords. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on then. So um Warren, we've got a question. Um what are your thoughts on gravel tire inserts? Will they make my bike roll slower on the roads? And how difficult are they in stall or to fix if you do get a puncture? Um it's quite an interesting one. You know, initially. I have to say I was a bit skeptical about about the whole point of inserts, but um, I have become quite the convert to be honest. Um, and, and I think any issues with fitting them is so outweighed by the increase in in toughness that you get. Um, 
As for making your bike slower, I mean, there's been some, you know, recent independent testing in regards to rolling resistance um, when when you introduce, you know, tire inserts into a tire. And they're sort of coming out that you'll get um, an increase of about a watt in rolling resistance One terms. One watt, right. yeah. And so, uh, I mean, that's that's if the tire insert is sitting within the rim, um, and it's not impacting on the side walls of the tire. So, so it is an actual insert. It's not like a filler. Mm-hmm. So you've got an air. You've got you've got a proper airspace around that around the insert. Um, so I would say, you know, unless you're a, a racer that's obsessed with power, then you know, what's a what between friends? Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> what what you know, and personally, you know, personally, I you know. I don't think you'll notice. Yeah, you won't notice the difference. And personally, since fitting inserts into into my gravel bikes, I've been able to run lower pressures. I haven't really suffered any significant punch, punctures, um, and being able to run lower pressures, especially this time of year when you're riding in really wet and muddy mm. muddy conditions, you're getting better grip. You know, whereas prior to that, I was getting no grip. You know, a gravel ride in the winter for me would be a long muddy walk. You know, <laughs> pushing a <laughs> mile. Sorry for my. Bleep that. Um, and I also just like the idea that that with the inserts, um, you're just you've got so much more confidence. And I don't, you know, I, w- I won't, don't have to rely on um, phoning friends to come and pick me when I've ripped a tire. Apologies to Russ. I was going to say Russ. Russ will be the one who'd be really <laughs> cheerful about picking you up, wouldn't he? Um, yeah, he's done it. He's done it for me. Yeah, on more than one occasion. What I like is how this <laughs> podcast is now sort of themed more around. Ways to stop you walking home. <laughs> yes, I know that's that's good. You know, you know, that's you know that's that's my life. I spend most of my life riding solo <laughs> because I'm doing most of my riding during the week when everybody else is at work. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know, anything that stops me having a walk. walking one slowly the... in road juice. <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions I've got, Warren, is um, so I mean, it, on the mountain bike side of things, the Kushkor insert is sort of. A very well regarded one, and I know they do a gravel insert, but with with the Kushkor and some others perhaps as well, it's quite um, the actual insert itself is quite a tight fit around the rim. And you know, with a I don't know from experience, you know, taking a gravel tire on and off, quite often they're quite tight as well. So, say you are out, you know, twenty miles from home, you've got a tear in your tire that you need to put a, a tube in, for example. Um, how do you get that tire off and the insert out without losing your mind? Um, I think that's the thing is with the Kushcore, you know, Kushcore obviously they they ship their their gravel inserts with a tool mm-hmm. specific to get your tire on, which is great, but obviously not one you really want to be carrying with you. But some of the other ones that I have used, some of the other the brands, I think Fito, Mariposa, um, you know, like Italian kind of tool specialists as mm-hmm. it were, uh, and Vittoria as well. Their their inserts are. They're kind of less refined, if you know what I mean. They're, they're less kind of sculpted to, to, to yeah. have that super tight fit. Um, so they're just providing a. They're basically by providing a barrier so you don't ruin your rim. Yes. If like you instead properly, of a pinch, you, you just bottom out yeah. on the foam. Yeah, and so I, I haven't had no issues with with you know getting a tire on and off with okay. those, uh, and you know because they're like a, a fairly open and split design, you can sort of grab one end and just. You know, whip it out like, sure. you know, like whipping a belt out of its loop sort of thing, and and stuff that you know, stuff that in your pocket mm-hmm. and get a, get a tube in there. But as as I say, I, I've had you know no real issues since since like going with them, and you know, as, as we were talking about this the other day, Tom, and you know, I'm I'm someone silly enough that owns three different gravel bikes, and I'm running inserts in all mm-hmm. of them. 
all from different brands as well. Right, okay. And, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I, simply I kind of wouldn't go back. Right, well. You know, to... An endorsement, an endorsement indeed. <laughs> right then, let's uh, let's crack on to a mountain bike question, Rob. So uh, David dropped into my DMs on Instagram. Hi, David. He said he's going to listen. So uh, thanks very much for the listen, David. And he said, uh, "What would you recommend? The Revel Ranger, which for context is my MBUK long term bike for this year, or the Transition Spire?" Um, spur. So you mean spur? Spur. I've written spire in my notes, and what I mean is spur. <laughs> Now, I've not um, been lucky enough to ride the Spur. It's a bike that everyone wanted to ride, especially when it first came out. And I think everyone wants it as a long-term bike. But um, So, yeah, I've not ridden one, but you have. Uh, and I've ridden the Ranger, but you haven't. Mm. Um, what's in a sentence or three, tell us about the transition. So, um, for me, the transition, it's it's a bike, I would say, that properly straddles that um efficient feel that you want from a downcountry bike Mm -hmm. but it has um a lot of the traits that you also want from a trail bike yeah so you can sit down spin you feel super efficient in that regard you know it's 120 mil of travel um so it feels you know light whippy all of those things it's got great geometry relatively slack in that category at the head angle i think it's around 66 i mm-hmm. think it's a 76 degrees effective seat angle okay. which is pretty steep compared to the likes of yep uh maybe the epic evo yeah um so it feels it feels really comfortable when seated and then um yeah when it comes to descending they've chinned suspension so well it feels it's just one of those bikes that's just it rides like it has way more travel it mm-hmm. you know it's super capable and it'll be the almost like the the tires depending on what you have on there it'll be the tires that ultimately hold it back uh-huh um you can you know you can absolutely rip on that bike it's one of those bikes where you ride and you sort of think if more people experience this type of bike mm. When we go to the trail centres, there'd be way less long travel trail bikes or enduro bikes kicking around. More people would be on there because they realise that climbing to the top is way less of less of a chore. Yeah. And, okay, you can't get away with quite as much if it goes wrong on the descent, but, my Lord, that thing can absolutely rip down a hill. Nice. Nice. I mean, in terms of the Revel, um, it sounds that the, you know, the Ranger, I think, is it's a little bit steeper, you know, it's listed as a 67.5 degree head angle with a 120 fork. Uh, the seat angle's a bit slacker. I think it's a touch shorter, but the Revel's still like, it's got a 473 reach, which I think is probably a touch shorter than the Spur. But my take on the Revel is that it's, so down, it's definitely a down country bike as opposed to one which is uh, trying to be like an XC bike in, with a little bit extra suspension or a trail bike with less. It's still, I think you could trail bikeify it with like a 130 fork and uh, and what have you, but it, it definitely got that sort of taut, skippy feeling down the track. It doesn't feel like necessarily mega plush when you really like start hitting big things. Um, and I think it's got 115 mil at the back, so it's got a little bit less travel. Um, so yeah, it feels like, I, I think the Revels probably maybe touch better if you're going to be doing 
longer all day XE traily rides. Whereas if you want to get a bit radder, I'd say maybe the transition's probably the one to go for on that front. The Revel pe- pedals real well. Like I've got, um, I'm hoping to do a 10 hour race in the summer and without a doubt, the Revel will be sort of a real good um, companion for that. Um, and also, you know, ride it around sort of Forest of Dean, local stuff, trail centers, it's great. Um, it's not really, it's not the most concise of answers, is it? But <laughs> no. what we're we trying to say, I, I, I think if you're, if you're coming from a long travel bike, like an enduro bike, and you want sort of a similar feeling, but a bit more pedal friendly for a big for a bigger ride, maybe the transition's the one to pick. If you're coming from a short travel bike, but want a bit more capability and want to be able to still rag it down some hills, but maybe you aren't looking to sort of uh, mirror the feeling of a longer travel bike, maybe the Rangers maybe want to opt for. The spur is a touch longer, but not a lot. I think in large, I think it's 480 maybe. Okay. In terms of reach, so it's not yeah. it's not massive, but obviously but it's probably what a degree and a half off the head angle. So the, right, the wheelbase so is a bit longer, and the front centre is going to be what you'd notice more than anything, mm. I would say. But yeah, it, it and because of that, arguably you could say purely going by the geometry that it's going to yeah. be a more stable descender, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's yeah. I think the way you summarised that there was spot on. Cool. I mean, I I really I've been really enjoying the Rebel a lot, like. It matches what I want to be want what I want out of a bike at the moment very well, um, paired with like an enduro bike. But it certainly doesn't replace that longer travel. Yeah, you know, gnarlier bike. It's not a one bike to it all at the moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> so sorry, David. Maybe it wasn't the best answer, <laughs> but I did reply to you on Instagram as well. So we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a chat. <laughs> all right. Let's, um, uh, Warren. Totally different end of the scale sort of thing but other than the tradition on flashy italian road bikes is there any point in buying say a campagnolo eps group set when di2 and access exist other than looking cool looking fancy that's quite a loaded question isn't it Um, (laughs) (laughs) well i I would say eps has got a lot going for it it's light it looks great um and if you're a campag user it shares the exact same shift log- logic and the ergonomics of the mechanical groups. Um, all that said, though, I, at the moment, would be a little hesitant to invest in current EPS right mm-hmm. now. Um, that's because not only has EPS been around for quite a few years right now, but more recently, we've also seen Campag no, no, launch a really successful 13-speed cassette for gravel. Um, add in like really intriguing facts that in early 2021, Campag put in a series of patent filings appearing to relate to wireless gears. Okay. And then later on in 2021, they also put in patent applications for electronic power meters. Um, so I would happily speculate, start a rumor, start, you know, um, whatever, that there is probably a new iteration of EPS on the way. And, you know, it could make quite a big splash. 13-speed, power measurement, and wireless, you mm-hmm. know. It could could put EPS right back up there at the uh, fighting it out with DI2 and access. I'm, I'm already tweeting it. It's already happening. I've leaked it. <laughs> He's added it to his MySpace. <laughs> yeah. My Bebo's going wild right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, um, but, uh, okay, so let's, let's throw some cats in the, in, in the pigeons. If you had to choose between DI2 and Access, what are you going for? On the road. <sighs> On the road. Um, well, my uh, Ultegra DI2 
uh, equipped frame set has finally come back into the fold, although I don't have it yet because our video team have, have stolen it <laughs> to do some things with it. So it's arrived as a built bike and now they're taking it apart, which is great. Um, so I haven't really had a huge amount of time on new DI2, mm -hmm. but what I have had, I've ridden the Durace a little bit, I've ridden Ultegra in the last couple of weeks, and um, it's incrementally better than the previous version, and the 12-speed has made a difference. Mm -hmm. They've filled in you know, a couple of gaps in the... Uh, uh, in the cassette ranges, but um, I've used Axis for a long, long time now. I mean, you can read, you know, in the in the next issue of Cycling Plus, it goes on sale, um, what it's like to live for a year with Rival Axis, okay. which is obviously the, the cheapest one. Um, and I would say if I had to go and buy a bike tomorrow, I would probably choose Axis. Mm -hmm. But that's only because it seems that bit more evolved. Um um, you know, the, the, it, it's the stuff that it does beyond just being a, a group set. You know, the, the Axis app, I think, is fabulous. You know, it gives you so much data. It, it you know, it uploads to Strava faster than my Garmin does. Um, and, the, you know, literally the, the wealth of information it will give you, you know, tells you what, you know, how many gear changes you made front and rear, how much time you spent in each individual mm. gear. And then if you're running a power meter, which I'm fortunate enough to do so, you can actually see the power that you're using through those gears it's actually you know, I've, you know i've been riding a bike for you know over 30 years and and it's kind of teaching me stuff about the way i ride a bike mm -hmm. it's teaching me you know stop pushing such a big gear you idiot you know yeah <laughs> you know and start spinning a little bit more and you, you know um but that said i haven't had time to really delve deep into what the new shimano dr2 can do because finally with the new one they've included a bluetooth area as well and so it will communicate with your head uh -huh. unit it will um straight out of the box and that sort of stuff and then if shimano can bring on their e-tube app which is very good but it's kind of quite technical whereas i think sram's approach with the access app is much more almost welcoming you know mm. it's much better for as a rider experience if shimano can bring that sort of stuff into into their app and there's no reason they can't now because they've got the you know they've got the communication system in place then it it's really you know really really interesting it's kind of fundamentally to change the way i think people think about gearing mm. and and about drivetrains on bikes because we've introduced this you know this this level of understanding and analysis that you can bring to just going out for a ride yeah. you know it's uh you know if you're a bit of a technophobe then hopefully they keep making mechanical groups so you can ignore it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, but uh, I haven't played much of the Access app. Um, maybe I will going forward. Rob, would you recommend 35mm mountain bike handlebars? Hmm. If you're going to go and buy a new cockpit setup tomorrow, stem and bar? Uh, I'd say yes, if they feel like 31.8. <laughs> so that's <laughs> damning with faint praise. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think um, I went name the brand but there is a well-known brand out there who uh when they designed their 30 mil bar 35 mil bar sorry um the goal was to replicate how their 31.8 uh -huh. felt um everyone was happy with it everyone liked how that thinner diameter bar rode mm -hmm. and you know the idea i think of 35 mil is that it can potentially be as a system with the stem lighter 
Mm -hmm. and you can potentially because of the diameter and the clamping force required etc you don't always need as much uh torque on the stem bolts Mm -hmm. but it's that you know it's sort of it's kind of minor pros for potentially some quite hefty cons i think you and i have both commented on it before but there's definitely times when you're on maybe some of the it's seems awful to say it but like some of the cheaper alloy bars mm-hmm. and big thick hefty stems and they can feel really harsh mm. to the point where you're you know literally changing suspension settings tire pressures in order to try and work around the fact that it's you know something relatively simple but it's causing you you know hand pain arm fatigue things like that that you could easily do without and well, mm-hmm. we have done without previously in the past. So I always think it's a bit of a strange one as to why it was introduced. And it's quite funny, even just doing bike of the year, um, you really notice it if you're swapping Garmin mounts around. Yeah. And I would say it's almost 50-50 uh, out of the eight bikes I've got for bike of the year. Yeah, I would say half are on 35, half are on 31.8. Um, and, and I guess that's, possibly down to brand managers and how they feel about it. Um, can I can I just ask what the reason was to bring it? Because, um, you know, 30 years ago, probably about a decade ago, we started seeing on the road, like Deda came out with um, their Trento Cinque bar and they did like a super leggero version of it. And it it was different because you ended up with a, I mean, I, I had a, set on on one of my bikes now if i remember rightly that you know it's like a carbon bar at 44 centimeters wide which is massively wide for a road bar you know i do use a really wide road bar but it was like sub 170 grams mm. you know it was so light it was like then pretty much anything else on the market um but still stiff but right guess, they could use thinner walls right well that's the theory yeah, yeah 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 super stiff but but it wasn't the good thing about it is it really wasn't harsh because obviously it has to taper down to fit you know sti levers and etc and so I could sort of see the benefits of it, but it, it never really caught on on the road. And I probably down to the fact that making everything much, much bigger at the front end has a detrimental effect when everybody's talking about aero. Yeah. So, but, so yeah, what, what was the reasoning behind bringing it onto, onto mountain bikes? Well, I think it was, a, it was one of those, you know, could it be a, a marginal gain, a marginal benefit in terms of, slightly lower weight there's a potential weight saving versus um you know that stiffness to weight ratio uh and then like i said with the 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 clamping forces um on the stem i think you need less in order to clamp a wider um diameter Mm. bar so there was you know i think it's relatively well reasoned it's maybe just and that's not to say they're all bad because i think there's certainly some um that feel totally fine you'd never come away going on you know my hands are completely numb i feel like Mm. my my teeth are about to fall out my head um and you definitely notice it less now than we did maybe when they first came out um so yeah uh, yeah i guess it's one of those it's one of those things that sort of those product managers those brand managers must just be trying to weigh up as to whether that extra cost is worth the the benefits and and potentially for some brands they maybe they're just really happy with the, how their thirty one 
6.8 bars feel mm. and therefore won't won't bother touching it others will it was definitely a it was almost uh i think it was almost a thing for some brands it would be to their detriment if they didn't have an offering so kind of had to bring something mm. to market in order to keep up pace with everyone else but yeah like, like i said it's one of those like, as long as you can create something that's going to be relatively forgiving without being you know flexy and noodly then great but it felt like we were kind of there with 31.8 for the most part so it sort of sounds like the 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 safe option really is just to get a nice standard 31.8 as it was called os stem and and bar all right um we're going to go on to our last question because um, I've actually got to learn how to be a fire marshal for our office in 10 minutes' time. Um, so we'll ask Warren. So Andrew has been asking, is there an easy way to index gears on a smart trainer if you're on your own? Um, I guess this could either be a single word, no, there isn't, or maybe a slightly more elaborated, yes, there is. Um, and I don't know <laughs> what the answer is. Um, uh, if we're talking smart trainers that are direct mount, so the cassette is on the is on the trainer, mm-hmm. then I would say no, no. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're unless you're running electronic gears, so you can adjust from the you know from the hoods, um, or you've fitted a barrel adjuster for the rear mech um, up uh, on your cables up near the bars, mm-hmm. then yeah, I'm afraid it's it's you you need to be extremely proficient in yoga to be able to reach and and make those adjustments <laughs> as you pedal. Right, find a friend. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that was a very quick answer, which I um, I really appreciate because yeah, I'm going to go and learn how to put a tab out on and direct people out of a burning building. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we will leave it as that. Thank you ever so much, Warren and Rob, for all your insights. Hopefully, we've answered. Uh, there is one there is one question left that was on our list, but I, I don't think we've got time. But that means that we will be recording another one of these um, to go out in about a month's time, there or thereabouts. Um, so yeah, thank you ever so much, Rob. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Uh, And thank you, Warren, as well. Good to see you, mate. And thank you all for listening. Please do subscribe to the White Corona podcast if you haven't already. Um, And if you could leave us a a rating on your podcast provider of choice, that'd be great. Because if we get more ratings, then the podcast provider thinks that it's a really good podcast if they're good ratings. And it will recommend it to more people. And then we get more listens, which makes us happier. So thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe and please give us a rating. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.